0: Oh, God. I'm just Oh, saying. God. Ugh. You just killed me. <laughs> go back and... What are you doing? You're worse than I am this week. I don't week. know. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm working up to it. Here we go. Here we go. Okay. Okay. Travel back in time to the 80s. Reliving the fashions.
1: Does Barry Manilow know that you raid his wardrobe? The friendships.
0: Next kind of guy you can trust,
1: kind of guy you can drink beer with, kind of guy who doesn't mind if you puke in his car.
0: And the one hit
2: wonders.
1: They call themselves Nana,
2: and their hit song 99 Red
0: Balloons, because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Can you
1: say stuck in the 80s? Hi. Hey,
2: hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Steve Spears.
0: And Brad in L.A.
2: And today we go back in time to the year 1977. It was the year of disco, the year of polyester, and yes,
0: the year of very interesting hair.
1: You know, I work on my hair a long time, and you you hit it. He hits my hair. Stuck in the
0: 80s is a member of the CLNS Podcast Network. You can find our podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, the CLNS Media mobile app, and and Steve, now we're on iHeartRadio.
2: Yes, finally. And don't forget, you can listen to our podcast at the CLNS Media website. You can find it at clnsmedia.com, and as always, if you love the show, share the links on your social media, and don't forget to follow us. We're on Facebook, and we're on Twitter. Ah, 1977. Brad and I were both just 10 years old.
0: Gas was 62 cents a gallon, dude. A new car, $4,000. Anwar Sadat was Time Magazine's man of the year. What's a Magazine. Spearsy, cut that out. Hey, Laverne and Shirley was the number one show on TV. And some weird space western movie called Star Wars had just premiered at the movie theater.
2: So, an all around fun year to remember. The music as well. Today, we're going to continue our Close But No Cigar series and spotlight the songs of 1977 that reached number two on the Billboard charts but went no further.
0: And, of course, we owe a big hat tip to our chief data wrangler and analyst, Chuck Coverley. He's not just a photographer, folks. He also has mad spreadsheet skills.
1: Computer. Hello, computer. Just use the keyboard. Yeah.
2: I do really enjoy these, uh, these little uh, field trips into the late 70s. I mean, every time I hear one of these songs, a story comes back to me or I can picture myself in some really unfortunate situation. <laughs>
0: Like, your bike chain came off because when you're 10, like, you know. Yeah. Oh,
2: God. Oh. Some people have asked us. Now, we did this show a, a few weeks ago. We did 1976. And, and there, was a, there was a little grumbling, not not because people thought that we went outside our beloved 80s. Because as as we've said before, we kind of consider the 80s, you know, the pop culture era that was the 80s kind of in our minds began in the late 70s. But there were some people that felt that we were ragging on the songs mm, never from 1977. Intent. And I, I don't like to think that we were doing that. I, I think that these songs all have their place. They were popular for a reason. Right. You know,
0: we will explore those reasons. I don't always understand the thinking behind the record-buying public. But, right. I mean, they did spend their money and their time on those songs. Yeah.
1: That's the fun thing about working in a record store. You get to play crappy pap you don't even want to listen to.
0: Take, take this show for what it's worth.
2: You know, listen to some songs for the first time in you know close to fifty years, and just just enjoy yourself. Don't worry about whether you like it or don't like it. Don't worry about whether or not we like it or don't like it. You know, just enjoy the trivia. <laughs> just have some fun with it once we get through that. We'll have our normal seggies and then I got some news for everybody about helping out stuck in the eighties. There's a new People's Choice podcast award that we are up for this year and we need your help to win it. So so stay tuned after the Seggies for that. In the meantime, <laughs> oh god, we're going to start with one of my real favorites here. Back in 1977, this song reached number 2 but no further. <laughs> it's Fly Like an Eagle by the Steve Miller Band. Oh, there ever a song that's stuck in the 70s this might be it
0: yes and no i mean it's definitely of its time i love the sound of this the it's got the hammond b3 organ sound that kind of classic rock organ sound that just is it's so recognizable but every part of this song like just even the ride symbol you're like oh yeah there's that ride symbol and there's that beeping at the end it's it's iconic i can't believe this didn't make it to number one you would have
2: thought that this sat at number one forever as much as you hear it today on the radio, still, like if you're listening to a classic rock station, this is a daily song. This, oh, this yeah. song still gets, it's due, uh, written by Steve Miller for the album of the same name. It usually is played in tandem with the space intro. Oh, so. it's so great. And then younger members of stuck in the eighties nation might better remember it for 20 years later, 1997 when seal the British artist, not the, uh, resident of the North Pole,
0: arr, arr,
2: arr. <laughs> covered Fly Like an Eagle for the Space Jam soundtrack. He even uh, used part of the space intro for, for the uh, song's chorus. Did you see Space? I think they're remaking Space Jam, aren't they? I, I have no idea. I didn't ever see the original. I, I saw like five minutes of it. I think um, LeBron James is, is redoing it because, yeah. of course, he has to, to prove to everybody that he's better than Michael Jordan. But whatevs. Okay. Evs? okay. <laughs> Stuck you know, in hey. heat. We all have hobbies. <laughs> yeah, this is ours. Fly Like an Eagle went to number two on the Billboard Hot 100 chart, week of March 12th, 1977. What kept it from the top spot? You're asking us right now because we have the answer. It's this tune, <laughs> Evergreen by Barbara Streisand. Love,
1: soft as an easy chair.
2: The morning A.K.A. the love theme from A Star is Born,
1: which is kind of... Uh, kind of
2: timely, kind of timely. Yeah. Did you see either the 1977 movie or the new movie, Stars Star is Born?
0: I don't think so. I Well, I know I haven't seen the new one, and I don't think I've ever seen the Barbra Streisand version, which was also a remake, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, it's been remade like... It's, it's like... Um, It's like that Uh, Brady Bunch plot where there's some confusion and it was all a big misunderstanding.
2: Well, it's like Heaven Can Wait has been been the the same plot line since the 1930s. I I know I didn't see the 70s version of A Star is Born. I started watching the new version the other night. I think it was Mm -hmm. some Saturday night. I texted my girlfriend and I said, Hey, I'm watching uh, A Star is Born because it's on HBO now. And everyone keeps telling me it's a great movie. So I'm like, okay, sure, I'll watch it. And she's like, oh, no, you're going to cry half the night. And I'm like,
0: okay then movie going off <laughs> like i don't i don't need that in my life tonight not on a saturday
2: night i don't yeah so uh, someday i will sit through it i could tell it we were, i was not ready for that emotional roller coaster ride clearly steve miller fared a lot better but um barbara streisand's evergreen is uh, aptly named that song can stick in your skull like a tumor
0: Oh, yeah, it gets caught in there pretty good, as I complained to you earlier this week. Yes. I mean, it's we, it's what it
2: is. We don't not a, hate it. Yeah. We, don't we don't hate
0: it. It's not a bad song. It's just a different kind of song. <laughs> a different kind of song. We're going to exactly. get a lot of, you're going to hear a lot of kind of solo female artists this week that, you know, definitely kind of define a, a sound of the era. <laughs> so what's your number two but no higher hit from 1977? Steve, my first one. From my beloved Casey and his Sunshine Band. Keep it coming, love. talked a little bit about them in the 1976 show they were still very popular in the 1977 this is actually the fourth single from their 76 album titled part three which had a rainbow on the cover steve you like rainbows
2: yeah <laughs> oh god they were everywhere in the yeah. late 70s and even and then they even crossed over into the 80s which you
0: know God bless him.
2: I stand by my love for Casey and the Sunshine Band. Is
0: 1977 peak disco, or does it come a little bit later?
2: 1977 was the year of Saturday Night
0: Fever, so I'm going to say that was peak disco. Okay, yeah. The first three singles off this album were Shake, 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 Shake Your Booty. Again, really tough lyrics to remember there. Uh, The classic, I Like to Do It... (laughs) what could they be talking about steve and the third was i'm your boogeyman which i'm pretty sure was the first single i ever bought (laughs) so this hit number two in october for three weeks and because it was in the two slot for three weeks it was held out of the top spot by two songs which couldn't they're completely different ends of the spectrum the first one was the star wars title theme by nico Do you remember hearing this on the radio?
2: I, I do. I, I don't. I didn't remember Miko until I played this the other day, and I was like,
0: Ah, yes, yeah. It is. You know, if this is peak disco, you are soaking in it right now. Yeah, it's kind of a weird. It's on an album called Star Wars and Other Galactic Funk, which <laughs> is available on the Spotify if you're curious. But I think it's more memorable for the cover art, which is this weird kind of jetson soft porn business it's kind of (laughs) weird jetson soft porn we really have crossed over we're doing a whole different kind of podcast now definitely we definitely have so miko was actually a classically trained musician he went to eastman studied uh trombone and he he played a lot he produced a lot he's on diana ross's 1980 album diana he did that as a favor to his neighbor who was Nile rogers wow yeah oh yeah Uh, now roger stopped by and asked for a cup of sugar two eggs and hey will you play on this album but he also did versions of close encounters superman he does this really kind of cool take on the theme from star trek the motion picture but he did a lot of star wars stuff he really loved him some star wars like the rest of the world but enough about miko the other song that kept casey out of the top slot and we're going to talk a lot about this one this week is you light up my life by
1: debbie Boone.
2: This is it. This I think might have been one of the first forty fives I ever bought. Oh no. Oh no. Yeah. I this was a trick that my parents used to play with me where I had a certain amount of money that they would give me every week to like I could go purchase a forty five. Like at this point when you're ten years old you don't have much of an allowance. So basically you get you maybe get like two dollars a week for taking out the garbage. Right.
1: Four weeks twenty papers, that's two dollars plus tip. Gee Johnny, I don't have a dime. Sorry. And ask for
2: a dime. $2. And so I would go to the record store with my
1: $2. I want my $2
2: <laughs> to buy my 45. And I'd be looking at, you know, Kiss, Love Gun, you know, and uh, <laughs> Casey and the Sunshine Band. I like to do it. <laughs> and then my mom would play this Jedi mind trick on me where she's like, oh, as long as you don't pick up that. Uh, Debbie Boone song that would really be annoying. And I'm like, oh, what Debbie no. Boone song? <laughs>
0: She's
2: like, yeah, you light up my life. It's like some sort of disco rock anthem. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? She's like, well, you know, go ahead, pick out your your Kiss song. That sounds great. And I'm like, no, no, no. Tell me more about Debbie Boone. And so the ne- next thing I know, I have a 45 to a song I don't want to hear ever again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's fantastic. I love yeah. your mom. Your mom is awesome. She's truly evil at times. <laughs> So this is from her first solo album and yes this is Pat Boone's youngest daughter. And I think it's safe to say this is her signature hit. Oh god, yes. And I will say no more about this so that we have things to discuss later in the podcast.
2: Okay, well here's my next uh, number 2 but no further. The late 70s were also the era of not only disco, but of Peter Frampton and of course Frampton Comes Alive. But this is a song that came after that. This is I'm in you. I'm- song Brad. Oh yeah. No, of course. Huge. This is actually, if you really want to go by sales, I think and maybe or charting uh, statistics, mm-hmm. it's considered to be Peter Frampton's most successful single. Really? Right. It came after he got back from touring to mm-hmm. record his live uh, album Frampton Comes Alive in 1976. And it's about him becoming recently separated from his first wife. Aww. So he wrote, he wrote this song down. It comes out, huge monster hit, not only in the US, but around the world. But there was one song that kept it out that uh, didn't give Peter Frampton his due, and that was Andy Gibbs, I Just Want to Be Your Everything. I, sadness a little happiness there uh in 1977 with frampton and andy gibb who
0: sometimes i think people confuse with each other hmm it's certainly possible they both have the feathered hair what do you got what's next on your list of your uh, close but no cigars okay my my next number two and no further is carly simon's nobody does it better
1: nobody
0: oh it's fantastic
2: i listen to this song at
0: least once a month maybe more yeah this is the theme song from the 1977 james bond film the spy who loved me which has the classic probably the best i think james bond opening where he skis off the cliff and opens the parachute and it's the union jack
2: yeah oh that's so great I don't always... I'm not... A, I mean, people say I'm an 80s homer, but really, if I had to pick one James Bond movie to watch for the rest of my life, it would be The Spy Who Loved Me. Really? Yeah. Uh,
0: I mean, Barbara Bach.
2: Not <laughs> just... It has everything. It it has everything you need in a Bond movie. It's got w- easily one of the best theme songs. Oh, yeah. It's got, in my mind, my favorite Bond, because it's, it's, it's got Roger Moore. It's got the Union Jack. It's got the right sense of humor. It's got the really good villain. It's got the all the fun toys, the underwater car. You know, people are eaten by sharks. I mean, what more can you want? You got Jaws. You got Jaws eating sharks. It's got Jaws. I forgot about that. Yeah. So what more could you want? This whole scene set. I'm I'm like getting way off course here, but the whole scene in Egypt. You know, in
0: front of the pyramids at night. Oh. It's good. Best, it's good.
2: Best scene from the best Bond movie with
0: the best theme. So there you go. So tell me more about the song. Okay, so this had the longest chart run of any Carly Simon song. You're So Vain actually made it to number one, but it was on the charts for two months less than Nobody Does It Better. Right. But, yeah. Justifiably so. <laughs> yeah. I love this line. Rolling Stones, David Ehrlich wrote, of all the odes to Bond's sexual prowess... And there were a lot of them. Simon's is the most satisfying. Wow, that's really good writing. (laughs) And he's right. He's right. So this was nominated for Song of the Year Grammy and for Best Original Song Academy Award. However, it had the bad timing to hit number two in late October, where it was kept out of the top spot by... (laughs) Yep, it's You Light Up My Life by Debbie Boone. Little scamp. Yeah. So, You Light Up My Life happened to win some awards. It uh, won the Song of the Year Grammy and the Best Original Song Academy Award, shutting out poor Carly Simon. Oh, that's sad. And it also won, well, it, it led Debbie Boone to the Best New Artist Grammy, which, as we all know, is The Kiss of Death.
2: <laughs> it was. Here's my next number two song Your Love Has Lifted Me Higher and Higher by Rita Coolidge. I know a lot of people are saying right now that that this sounds familiar because it appears on the soundtrack for Ghostbusters 2. Yes, you're right and you're wrong. This song is on the soundtrack to Ghostbusters 2, but it was a peppier version that was performed by Howard Huntsbury. This song, Higher and Higher, is actually what the name of it is. Not written by Rita Cool, It's written by Gary Jackson and Carl Smith. It was originally recorded by Jackie Wilson, the great Jackie Wilson, oh. back in 1967 for his album, Higher and Higher. So you might be remembering it for that. That became a top 10 hit, but Rita Coolidge remade the song uh, for her album in 1977, and it has a more moderate tempo. So that's why you're kind of like, oh, man, it feels like you know someone's playing it at the wrong speed. Yeah. But still, an amazing song. It was kept out, again, from the number one spot... By a song by the Emotions called Best of My Love. This is one of those earworms, too. I mean, yeah you got to be careful how many times you to listen to, to the emotions because it really – this one with your emotions. There. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my
0: God. Some fun there, man. What do you got coming up next? Okay. Up next on my stuck at number two, I give you a classic disco track, a truly classic disco track, Boogie Nights by Heatwave. Boogie
1: Nights. Ain't no doubt. We are here. To-
0: it's so good. It's so good. (laughs) I did not know that this was a British band. I didn't either until I did my research, which is also known as going to Wikipedia. Uh, (laughs) This is the third single from their debut album, which was titled Too Hot to Handle. You know, heat wave. I'm seeing a theme here. Oh, yeah.
2: So clever.
0: Yes. Backing vocals on this were performed by American actor-singer Clark Peters, who you might have seen in the Space Western Outland? Nope. No? You don't remember Sean Connery's Outland? I,
2: I do remember the movie. I, I don't think
0: I saw it, though. No. I, it's pretty good. But you hate I know. Westerns. Everyone you says You hate that. Westerns, so why would you I do watch hate it.
2: Westerns. I <laughs> don't know why. I just do.
0: More recently, Clark Peters was Detective Lester Freeman in The Wire. Didn't see it. <laughs> really? <laughs> no. Gosh, even I've, I haven't seen the whole thing, but I've seen at least a couple seasons. Of
2: they one. all die at the end. That's all I know. <laughs>
0: It's a common theme in humanity, you <laughs> yeah, sad, sad man. Yeah, I guess that is true. At the end, we all do die. It's um. true, slowly. So this was actually, it went to number one in one country, and that was New Zealand. New Zealand? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and it wasn't just a, like number one for a little while. It was the number one on their 1977 year-end chart in New Whoa, Zealand. Whoa, New yeah. Zealand, what's up there? I know. The sheep love them some heat wave. This has the the unenviable distinction of peaking at number two in both the UK and the US. And you might be sensing a theme here in the US that had the bad timing to hit number two in November where it was kept on the top spot by You Let Up My Life by Debbie Boone.
1: <laughs> you oh,
0: Debbie. Ugh.
2: Now, if, you, if you're tempted at this point to write some hate mail to us, that would be entirely okay by
0: me. What sort of hate? We're representing Debbie's hard work here as the number one (laughs) song for half the year. Did you know that You Light Up My Life is actually a cover? I did not know that. It was originally recorded by Casey Sysick, better known for her jingle work. She did the Have You Driven a Ford Lately and You Deserve a Break Today recordings. Oh, wow. Yeah. This was for the soundtrack of a 1977 movie of the same name. I don't remember the movie. Is that a bad thing? No, it was kind of a small thing. Not a big deal. I didn't even know okay. it was a movie either until, again, I started doing my research for this show. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, my research for this show led me to a rare one-hit wonder from the 70s. My final song to represent this week is Float On by The Floaters. Take my Come baby. The love
1: hand. Let me show. Like a woman that's quiet, a woman who carries herself like Miss Universe.
2: And yes, I'm sorry, but the Floaters is probably the most unfortunate name for a band. Uh, f- the Floaters, basically, this is their one hit. Okay, this so is their
0: Captain Geach and the Shrimp Shack Shooters was taken.
2: Yes, the Floaters. <laughs> I can't even say it with a straight face. The big trend at that time. It's such a parody now. Was to use the spoken verses, you know, and astrology signs and podcaster uh, Brad.
0: I'm looking for a woman who can put up with my shenanigans, Tron costumes, and Devo energy domes. If you're that kind of lady, call me Spearsy here, Cancer.
2: I'm in love with an 80s cruiser from NYC.
0: Dig it. Smooth. I got to say, I didn't realize that they were calling out their astrological sign at first. And so the first time I hear it, which of all the songs in today's show, this is the one I don't think I'd ever heard or I don't remember. Um, yeah, and yeah. The guy yells out, Cancer Larry. And I'm like, Cancer Larry? What the f-? <laughs> Yeah,
2: That's not nice to Larry. You know, maybe he didn't want everyone to know. So Float On came from their self-titled debut album. It was the biggest, one of the biggest singles of the year. Spent six weeks... And number one on the Hot Soul single chart. And it became a crossover, of course, yeah. only reaching number two on Billboard, behind um, Best of My Love Again. <laughs> What's interesting, though, is as has happened over the years, the parody versions have been released of Float On, including this one from Cheech and Chong called Bloat On.
1: burger with nice, soft, warm brown buns covered with mustard
2: That's fun. And if you're still saying, you know what, I know this song from somewhere else, you do. In the early 90s, it was used to advertise
0: Cadbury's cream eggs. So there you go. Hey, you know, cash the check. Yeah. Good, good for you, floaters. Good for you. <laughs> what do you got, Brad? Let's wrap this up. Okay, we're coming in coming in hot here with The Last Stalled at Number Two. I give you Crystal Gale and Don't It Make My Brown Eyes Blue.
1: I didn't mean to treat you bad know just what I had but honey now I do and don't it make my brown eyes don't it make my brown eyes don't it make my brown
0: eyes Ooh. Man I don't think we've ever spoken the words crystal gale in this podcast before. I don't think so either and you know, we kind of brainwash a little bit on these songs. I put together a Spotify list, and we both listened to them all week. and this is one that I really was I was playing it over and over again. Her voice is amazing. Yes, I know this is like the old man rant of the day. Here we go. But you know, Steve, back in the day they didn't have the auto tuner. They actually had to sing it like a person themselves. <laughs> yeah, they did. It kind of elevates the game there, right? but anyway, back to the back to the facts. This was the lead single from her 77 release, We Must Believe in Magic, which was the first platinum album by a female country artist. You go, Gail. I know, right? Don't cut that hair. It's the source of your strength. It was originally written for Shirley Bassey, who you might remember from singing Goldfinger. Can <laughs> you uh, even say that name without singing it? I you can't. can't. You can't. No. But when composer Richard Lee sang it for Gail, she said, Surely, Bessie, my ass. I want that song. Ooh, you kiss your mother with that mouth. That is a quote. (laughs) Yeah, takes her. It didn't happen. Yeah, back to the you know the strength of her performance, her vocal and all the instrumental, but the strings were recorded in one take. Excellent. Yeah, so many of the great songs are like that way. Yeah, Uh, you know, I want to. That's a question I think we need to start asking artists: is tell us not tell us about a song you took one take, like tell us about a song that took like four hundred takes. Like, what are the ones that cause problems? (laughs) Yeah. Well, this one wasn't yeah no this was her third number one on the country charts and hitting number two on the pop charts was kind of a cherry on the top for her because she wasn't really targeting that audience so she probably was pretty happy with that like just being in the top 10 but that makes this song really her biggest hit among her 16 country number ones as a solo artist
2: Surely surely this song is strong
0: enough to defeat Debbie Boone. Steve, it had the bad timing to hit number two in late November, <laughs> where it was kept out of the top spot by You Light Up My Life by Debbie Boone. And you. Steve, did you know that You Light Up My Life by Debbie Boone topped the charts for ten consecutive weeks, which was a record at the time? If, if this keeps up, it's going to be like featured in ten consecutive podcasts. <laughs> the prior record was Nine Weeks, a song by a group you might have heard of... Hey Jude by the Beatles. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's a nice factoid. Yeah. The record was matched by 1982's Let's Get Physical and broken after Billboard made some changes to how number ones were calculated in 1992 by Boys to Men with End of the Road. Excellent. If we go any longer, I'm going to have to start talking about Debbie Boone's father and remember the early podcast in which you guys talked about his rock album. <laughs> That's right. I forgot about that. I think that was episode. It's like oh my two, I think it's might have been two or three. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, maybe we, don't go back. Maybe we should not look that far back. Maybe instead yeah. we should look to something else, like the, the Segis.
2: Ah, the familiar refrain of listener mailbag. We got a lot of letters lately, and we haven't had time to read them. So we thought well, let's let's read three of them this week. The first one is from Jay Frabe CPA from
0: Bixby, Oklahoma. Uh, Brad, where's Bixby, Oklahoma? It's on the eastern side of the state. Okay, um, not too. It's kind of in the Tulsa sphere of influence, if you will. Ah, Tulsa, the, the greener, hillier side of the state, it's a little, <laughs> little prettier over there, I think.
2: And so uh, Jay Frabe has a letter about our previous show of number two hit songs from 1976. So why don't you read it, Brad? Okay.
0: Jay Frabe, CPA, writes Spearsy and Brad, like many of your listeners, I'm a child of the 80s and not ashamed of it. That's good. Glad to hear it. I was born in 1969, graduated in 1987, and spent the formative years of my life in this most amazing decade. My most fond memories of the decade are always encapsulated by music, and even today, I find myself listening to 80s music a majority of the time. Yeah, guilty. There was one aspect of my love for the decade that I always found weird, but once I listened to episode 508, I realized I was not alone. You see, whenever I describe my fondness for 80s music, I always put an asterisk out there by saying my favorite decade for music was actually 1976 to 1985. Imagine my surprise when you expanded the decade on that episode to include a conversation regarding those years in the mid to late 70s that don't ever really get addressed on your podcast. I vividly remember all of the number twos that you talked about in that episode, and I enjoyed them all. I've always wondered why I enjoyed the 1976 and 1979 time so much, and I believe you made reference to it in the podcast well. For me, those were my early years of radio listening when I was first able to develop my own tastes. In fact, I still have the Dallas Cowboys AM-FM radio football helmet that was my first medium for listening to music. Whenever I see the helmet, I vividly remember it sitting atop the wooden clothes dresser in my bedroom. And when I hear certain songs, the memories become even more thick. Thanks for all you do to keep this decade alive. Hopelessly stuck in the '80s, Jay Frabe CPA, Bixby, Oklahoma.
2: Bixby, Oklahoma. Interesting. Yeah. Yep. 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 Well, it's good. I'm glad somebody else kind of caught on into t- what we were doing there. That was. I was kind of worried when we when we tried doing these shows that, that maybe people would be. Uh, disengaged but apparently not
0: at least at least we've won over bixby oklahoma yeah it must be the billboard we bought there
2: (laughs) uh this next letter is from uh, christian in duluth and he's writing about our father's day episode from a few weeks ago hi Stephen, brad wow what a nice pod for father's day i liked the twist of not merely talking about the best dads but asking whether they were a good dad or not When I ask myself the question of who is a good or bad dad, my nomination may be a bit controversial. The dad in question is from a movie made in the 80s, but not set in the 80s, at least not the 1980s, more like the 1780s. So maybe it still qualifies, maybe kind of, sort of. I present Leopold Mozart from the movie Amadeus, a dad that strangely parallels many of the sports dads, except the obsession is music and not baseball.
0: (laughs) Baseball, Ray.
2: (laughs) Music, Amadeus. (laughs) Leopold saw in his exceptionally gifted son the opportunity to live out his dreams of being a great composer. His drive for Wolfgang's success wasn't just for the benefit of his son, but also validation of himself. It was the need for self-validation that drove him to push Mozart the way he did, and to show his son off as some sort of trained monkey to European nobility at the time. Now, to be fair, I've done my share of reading about Mozart, and while there are some historical evidence that his father was quite the taskmaster when it came to his son, I'm not sure the movie portrayal was really that accurate. But that's not really the point of the topic question, was it? So what do you guys think? Leopold Mozart, good or bad? I say good intentions, but bad executions. Still stuck in the 80s, Christian and Duluth. Um, hmm. You know, I actually had Leopold on the list. Yeah. At one point, and we were going to include him as an honorable mention, and I don't know why we
0: didn't, but we didn't. Because the show was already like six hours long.
2: I think, um, I, yes, good intentions, horrifically bad execution, yeah. and I'm, resulted I'm, in the very, very, very premature death of your son. So D minus, bad dad. <laughs> D minus. So, there you go. But But a fantastic movie. And I'll watch it anytime it's on TV. Uh, We got one last letter from Dr. Dim, um, our frequent co-host. Dr. Dim also has to sound off about uh, the Father's Day podcast. And Brad's going to read this one.
0: We got his dander up a little bit on this one. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Dim writes, Hey, gang. I was livid. Livid, I tell you, when I heard the three of you were barely able to give old man Parker of the 80s classic A Christmas Story a passing grade as a father. Jen did concede the story takes place in the 1940s, and the expectations of dads were different then. Men were expected to be more stoic. Sure, some dads bucked the trends of the day and showered their kids with hugs and kisses, but Old Man Parker was more subtle. Why, I can recall a certain podcast that examined the greatness of a Christmas story, in which a former co-host pointed out the expression on Old Man Parker's face as the family drove home with their Christmas tree. Mom and the boys were excitedly singing jingle bells, while the old man displayed looks of annoyance mixed with love for his family. When Ralphie dropped his first F-bomb in front of Dad, what was old man Parker's reaction? He smiled to himself. The boy is a chip off the old block. When Ralphie was forced to wear the pink nightmare sent to him by his aunt, who was honest enough to let Mom know the outfit was ridiculous? It was the old man. And then there's Ralphie's obsession that drove the plot along. The official Red Ryder carbine action 200-shot range air rifle. And who was it that secretly acquired and surreptitiously hid the coveted item? It was Old Man Parker, that's who. Remember the scene? It's hard to say which Parker was more excited, Ralphie or Old Man. The cantankerous dad was a kid again as he watched his boy open that extra present. An extra present Mom had no idea was there. So, who was responsible for Ralphie having the greatest Christmas of his life? mom his teacher santa claus no it was his dad who understood his boy and quietly secretly made sure it would be an unforgettable christmas that's a great dad a passing grade Uh uh-uh old man parker gets an a plus you're stuck in the 80s dr dim i very rarely
2: change my mind and admit uh mistakes at least 80s-related ones, personal ones in my life all the time. That's the whole <laughs> basis of the show, if you haven't caught on after 510 episodes. But Dr. Dim has, has, has taken the field.
0: I reverse my decision. I, I agree. Based on that logic, old man Parker gets an A+. I would like to make some differing remarks at this time, sir, if I may have the floor. <laughs> okay. When Ralphie dropped his first F-bomb and he smiled to himself, the boys that chip off the old black. If he wants an A+, He keeps that shit to himself. He doesn't get in the car and say, "Do you know what your son just said?" I mean, he throws him under the bus and then drives the bus over him with shitty tires. Well, you got a point there. Now, we thought about that. We did talk about that. He was the one who bought the gun, and you know. So, yes, I'm giving him a passing grade. But to get an A plus in this class, you have to not throw your kid under the bus. (laughs) I don't know. Okay, differing opinions per usual,
2: Uh, and as always, we love your letters, especially uh, if you disagree with our views on the show. Just remember, Just
0: just remember, Steve. Your diploma does not show your GPA. Thank God for that. Just send your letters to podcast at (laughs) sit80s.com.
2: Ah, the ever so new but yet familiar and yet I have no correct adjective for it. A sound of I Want My Mystery TV theme song. We'll play a snippet of a TV theme song from the 80s if you get it right. You're entered into the contest for some swag. The current swag is uh, bottle openers, but they're new bottle openers. They're postal-friendly bottle openers. They are. postal friendly
0: bottle openers are
2: they are flat and easily mailed. Unlike magnets, which apparently are not postal-friendly, and so the one I sent to our beloved fan did not arrive safely. And I'm very upset because that was my last Ugh. magnet.
0: I have no more. All your magnetism has been spent elsewhere. Yeah. Looking at so. you, New York.
2: <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Pay attention. Here was the last clip from the last time we did this Seggy. That's murder she wrote. <laughs> Did not watch this television show, I don't know why. I know we got some
0: nice letters from people who really remember this show fondly yeah, so I don't think I ever saw it. The premise is kind of like, okay, she 's a mystery writer, and everywhere she goes there's a murder. like why isn't she getting arrested? Yeah I mean, talk you know this is round up the usual grandma 's time <laughs> it's fun, it's campy. It is what it is. Uh, read some of the winners. We did not have as many winners as I thought, but those winners are. Jamie Rhodes, Joseph Bob purdue Alex, Stephen Halifax, Miles from London, England, Carlos M. Hernandez, Jonathan Thompson, and Anfield Albert, who is so happy that Liverpool won the Champions League this year.
2: Oh, that's nice. Uh, why don't we spin the wheel and see who gets a bottle opener? <laughs> And looks like it's going to land on Jamie Rhodes. You're this week's winner. So nice. email us your postal address, and um, we'll get something out to you sooner or later.
0: <laughs> sooner. <laughs> or, sooner. No, I'm, com- <laughs> I'm, I'm committed to a 24-hour turnaround on all bottle openers. Oh, wow. Interesting. That won't hold up, but, you know. Oh. I mean, just because it's true doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. Yeah.
2: <laughs> anyway, here we go. Uh, pay attention. Here's this week's mystery TV clip.
1: All is a long way from L.A.
2: If you know it, email us at podcast at sit80s.com and tune in soon to find out if you're a winner. We'll be right back after this commercial
1: break. Stop! Stop everything! What now, Professor? Ideas that will change the cookie world forever! Melted chocolatey middles in the cookies! Too late, we just did it! New Keebler Magic Middles. Try one. Confound. Crisp cookie outside, luscious melted chocolatey filling inside. And we're a of genius. We're pretty proud. Stop everything again. Put chocolate chips in them. We've got those too. New magic middles from Keebler. Genius. Pure Genius.
2: We're back. We have a few minutes left, and I promised I, I alluded to something I call the People's Choice Podcast Awards. Starting July 1st, nominations are open for the 14th annual People's Choice Podcast Awards. And basically, uh, it's, it's up to the listeners out there to decide who wins. Stuck in the 80s has been nominated for the entertainment category. And nice. um we're hoping to put on a pretty good show. You know, maybe people out there who've been listening for a few years might want to give us a vote. Anyway, here's how it works. Um go to if you go to our Facebook page or our Twitter page, um we'll probably put it on the website too, SIT80s.com. We'll put a link to the awards. It's at podcastawards.com. That's the where the site is. There might be a specific link that we can give you that takes you straight to where you vote. And that's what we hope to put on our social media. But but look for that. We appreciate your support for us. You know, the show is a labor of love and it has been for almost exactly 15 years now. So interesting. Holy enough. cow. <laughs> yes. It'd be nice to, um, you know, have some hardware.
0: I don't know what we get. Help us put on a good show in here. Yeah, Maybe we just get a Starbucks gift card. I don't know. I, a hearty hand clasp and a, and a bottle opener mailed yeah. six months later. Some uh, some chai
2: tea. Iced chai tea would be nice about this time of year. Hmm. But in the meantime, we will continue our march towards the 80s with our close but no cigar uh, number two but no further hits. Cue them up. Enjoy the 70s songs. But remember, Brad and I are here, hopelessly stuck in the 80s.
0: Stuck in the 80s is a member of the CLNS Media Network. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for our theme music. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or the CLNS Media mobile app.
2: Don't do the strange part. So here's my next number two song. It's familiar, but not... ah. Here's my next next number... Here's my next... (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) Here we go. Obviously, my energy level is now
1: completely unregulated. (laughs)